Wonderful. All right. We are going to get started on time so that we can have as much time with Nigel as we can. My name is Jill, I, uh, and uh, I work with 24-7 Prayer. I'm your host for today. Tanya is here. She's, she's making sure that everything happens, and, and uh, we've got Gareth, who's, who's lurking in the back, sort of helping things go on with the, the chat. So, but, but most importantly, uh, we've got Nigel Langford here, and Nigel is the Director of Domestic Vision at the Bible Society. And so this is just a really exciting theology lab on reimagining mission. And so uh, I'm just going to pray and uh, maybe we can all pray for Nigel. Would that be okay? Does everybody want to stretch out a hand and we can pray for Nigel? Father, we just thank you for Nigel. Lord, thank you for bringing him here with us today. Father, thank you for the the work of the Bible Society. Thank you for the message that he brings to us. And uh, Lord, just give him an instructed tongue <laughs> here to speak to us. And, and mostly, Lord, we also just invite your Holy Spirit. We welcome your presence here, God, with us. Lord, we ask that you would come and do the immeasurably more that we could ever ask or imagine. Lord, we, we look to you, God. Our, our hearts are open. Our minds are open. Come and speak and equip us for mission, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Nigel, over to you. Thank you so much, Jill. Uh, lovely to be with you all today. And um, amazing that uh, for your commitment in um, being on your laptop, whether indoors or outdoors in this beautiful weather. But as, um, as Jill has said, my name's uh, Nigel, and um, I'm a church planter as well in, in my spare time. And... Uh, a very um, happy husband and proud father to a little boy who we adopted um, just under a year ago. And I have to say that uh, this has begun to shape the way that I see mission uh, in a whole new light. It really brings to life leaving the 99 to find the one. Uh, but more on that uh, a little bit later. You know, um, there are signs of spiritual hunger all around us in our communities, and, and I sense people are feeling hopeful but also fearful about the implications of emerging from lockdown. 21st of June, um, that seems to be a date that's looming, but we aren't quite sure, are we, whether this is the key date that we're all looking toward. And I, I really believe that uh, the Holy Spirit is doing something new in our time, if we can perceive it. But I wonder how much of it is understanding his original intent. And I think the, the big story of the Bible has the power to encounter and change people's lives, to show us what the Father is doing in the world and how we can partner with him. You know, the pastor and author, A.W. Tozer, um, he said this, the Bible was written in tears and to tears, it will yield its best treasures. So today, if we, if we jump to the next slide, uh, that would be fantastic. Um, we're going to do three things in, in the hour we have. We're going to look at the current cultural context. Uh, we're going to look at um, some biblical narratives that could inform us of how we 
reimagine mission. And again, defining that is how we partner with God in his work in the world. And I believe there is a biblical framework uh, to look at three things. Now, that's not an exhaustive list, but it's just three things that I'm going to be talking about today that Bible Society have been uh, developing with churches uh, and other missional agencies around this time. We're going to be looking at uh, reimagination around the power of welcoming, listening uh, and supporting. Uh, they're not intentionally put in that order, but we will get through them in, in that particular order that we've set out today. Then we're going to have uh, 15 minutes for breakout rooms. So, and we've got three questions that we want people to just get to grips with. Uh, and then at the end, um, we're going to be looking at some resources that Bible Society are developing to help people in a biblical narrative around welcome, around listening, and around supporting. And I'm beginning today where we are right now on bank holiday, Monday the 31st of May. This is a changing context in which we are called as the church. Bible Society conducted some research with over 3,000 adults uh, around hopes and fears just a few months ago. And the results are, they're really interesting because uh, it acknowledges the pain uh, and the difficulty of the moment, but it also highlights that there is a deep spiritual hunger and openness in our culture. And uh, we can make an overview uh, of this research available for you if you find it helpful, because obviously we're just picking out two slides today and looking at them very quickly. So if, you, if you're a data geek and you'd like to know more, we would be more than happy to give you a version of this particular piece of research. Um, but if we move to the next slide, uh, which is all about the ones with the graph on around the role for the church in the coronavirus recovery, if we go on to that particular slide, um, the questions on this particular slide were mainly for non-church goers. And the majority of the public say that the church should have a role in the recovery. Actually, only 14% said no role at all. And that is a remarkable shift from where we have been in the past, an, an amazing shift. Uh, there's a real desire for the church to serve the poor and those on the edges of society. 51% of people asked said this. And again, 51% of people think the church should support individuals and families who are bereaved. So the role for the church in the coronavirus victory, in the coronavirus recovery, is quite amazing. We then shift on to the next slide. And this was a question uh, mainly for actual churchgoers, but the church after the pandemic. And churchgoers are positive that it will recover from the pandemic and that this moment in history will change the nature of the church. 74% believe the church will be active in the needs of the local community. 66% believe the church will be more mission focused. So even in the pews, even in the gathered church, as well as the scattered church, there is the sense that there is change. We shouldn't go back to what we knew before. There's something different brewing and we need to connect with that. And what's not included in this 
particular set of slides, which we can make available for you, is some of the more optimistic replies we got from 18 to 24-year-olds who are amazingly spiritually open but would not label themselves as religious. 25% say that in two years' time, more citizens will be engaging with faith and spirituality. And they are looking for people to speak out on key issues of our time, but they're not sure who. Does the Bible have anything to say about any of the issues we've highlighted and so much more? And I think we see in this research that people are looking for us to welcome. They're looking for a welcome. They're ready to listen if we are willing to, and in turn to be supported in ways that reveal the beauty of Christ to people. So I'm now going to switch on to my next slide. I'm going to go through three biblical narratives really quickly. Uh, and again, what I call these things a McDonald's drive-through because there'd be so much more uh, to get at under, under the surface. But uh, let's start in Genesis 1, not in Genesis 3. You know, we will see that creation is called good and we are called very good. Now, I've heard some suggest that the word good and God have deep links in its meaning and that when God called his creation good, he was alluding to the fact that he could see himself in his creation, in his work, in his art, in this cosmic temple of Eden that he had created. And when he looked at us, he and of myself in you. There is something inherently good in humanity. God didn't create the universe in a bad mood. And in this vein, Yahweh gives the first great commission to subdue and to multiply, to become reflectors and establishers of his glory across the earth, building from a garden to a city. So identity and image, knowing who we are, is key in God's mission. But we are also sent, in my mind, with a posture of stewardship to create and to cultivate and we see that in Abraham's covenant, that it is a blessing way beyond ourselves. God is at work way beyond us. And so we build throughout the Old Testament, we build toward a crescendo that I would call as an opportunity since Eden to reimagine, to rediscover the best that God has for the world since it had fallen. We reach this place in Exodus 19, and it has been two months since Israel were liberated from Egypt, and Moses climbs Mount Sinai to meet with God. And they are found in a very difficult situation. They're no longer slaves, but they're definitely exiles. They're in a wilderness. They're homeless in a hostile desert, vulnerable to attack and disease. They're questioning when things would get better. And God speaks into this in Exodus 19, verse 5. He speaks into this situation and he says, Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure. You see identity and image again. And from among all the peoples on the earth, for all the peoples belong to me. Bit of a 
Psalm 24 verse 1 reference there. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. Verse 10, God says to Moses, now go down and prepare the people for my arrival. And this, this really is remarkable. It's remarkable because it's like a walking in the cool of the day scenario. This language that we see when God is with Adam and Eve and all that is happening at the moment when Yahweh decides to give the law to his people is to be among them again fully. And he says, hey, do you know what? These 10 commands, these 10 ways, if you live like this, others will look at you and they'll see me. The way you welcome to embrace, the way you listen to understand and not to reply, the way you support so that others can flourish will radically affect how people see who God actually is. They will encounter the love of God. And this is the covenant to subdue and multiply into all the nations. Remember, many people left with the Israelites when they were freed from Egypt, a mixed multitude. And God makes it clear in Leviticus 19, verse 34, that the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. And this is the key thing. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Love them as yourself. Yet, you know, their response is, is a watershed moment in the next chapter, in Exodus 20, verses 18 and 19, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. You know, the truth is I probably would have had the same kind of feeling, hearing and seeing all of that level of activity. But, you know, it was safer in the mind of the Israelites to have a high priest as opposed to being a kingdom of priests. And, you know, sometimes I'm a bit like that. I'd rather have a professional priest on staff doing the advocacy work for me. Maybe somebody else can welcome. Maybe someone else can listen and support. But you know, at the, at the heart of God is a kingdom of priests taking the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, wrapped in this, in this narrative and this feeling of welcome, of of listening and of supporting, that's reaching out to all on the margins of society and seeing the spirit work. And, you know, we could just pick out time and time again, if we work through the Old Testament together, we would see so many narratives of this taking place, but we don't have time. We're going to jump on. Let's jump into the New Testament in Luke 10. And Jesus, he comes so the next slide would be great. Jesus comes to bring the kingdom of priests to life. So we arrive at Luke 10. There's a group of 12, and now they become 72, but these are being called disciples. Now, my maths is not great, but that's a multiplication of six, as far as I can see. 
And if, if you get to League 10 and you look at verses 5 to 9, what you actually see in my mind is Jesus giving a really clear, basic way of doing what God had asked Moses and the children of Israel to do all the way back then. And he says this as he sends them. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. But when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. And, you know, as, as I was reading this and digesting how Jesus begins a new chance to reimagine, to think about how we partner with the Father's activity in the earth and on the earth. I just saw this little acronym that um, I devised that just really helped me and helped um, some of the churches we were planting uh, at the time. And the acronym that came up in those verses was the word BASE. So I'm going to look at that really clearly. But B would stand for be present. You see in verses five and six, uh, that command. But, you know, you, you carry something powerful. You are a priest. You're salt and light. You have an unbelievable welcome to give. You know, you can invite people in, but when you take a welcome somewhere, it is even more powerful. You know, I, I remember when we planted um, Hub Church um, about seven years ago. And um, I remember saying to the Lord, what are you doing? You know, reading from the Lord's Prayer, like, what are you doing? And I remember going to get my, my hair cut. I'd had a really bad morning. I'd had, had a row with my wife, yes, and us. It wasn't a particularly great morning. I was in a, a really bad mood. And I walk into this hairdresser's and sit down and this lady starts cutting my hair. She's, she starts crying. And then I thought, oh, no, you know, I haven't even said anything. All I said was hello. You know, is, is it really that bad today for all the people who are encountering me? And I just remember on the way up saying to the Lord, you know, I, I'm really sorry about where I'm at today. But I'd really love to know what you're up to. Isn't it amazing that God meets us in places despite of our attitude or despite of where, we've, where, we, where we're coming from at that particular moment? And I'm sitting in this chair. This lady just starts crying and she starts telling me about how her business is, go, is going bankrupt and how her husband has left her. And I remember hearing this voice of God saying to me, you brought, my, you brought me in here, but I've been waiting for you as well. Um, you're present here. I want you to partner with me and I want you to say you're going to pray for her. And I, all the way through my haircut, just resisted it. And her hands were shaking. I had a very, um, a very messy cut that day at the end of it. Um, and I just remember thinking, no, God, please don't make me do this. Uh, until I got to the end and with real reluctance just said, hey, you know, would you like me to pray for you? And the long story short was, you know, I just told her, I, you know, we're planting a church up here. I didn't even get to that at the beginning. I was at the very end. But I told her how, you know, the God that I believe in is really interested in your business and he wants it to thrive. And um, I prayed for her and left and then, and then came back seven weeks later thinking she'd never remember that. 
um, in, in, in my craziness. And I walked through the door and she literally pointed at me and said, aha, this is the guy who prays for my business. And, you know, in all the financial difficulty and all the sort of things she was walking through, there'd been some restoration, some stuff had happened, not all of it, but she said she'd found a deep sense of peace and she wanted to know more. Now, that was just by me being present, even in my mess. Isn't it amazing that God uses us wherever we're at? But, you know, that whole thing about base, about being present, is that we can take a welcome. We don't just have to welcome people in. We can take a welcome to wherever God is residing with people. He's waiting for us to come. And then A, act with generosity. We see it in verses 7 to 8, that when you receive a welcome, that actually you need to stop and listen. You know, the fact that there was... A relationship building here was because I was I was prepared after a lot of coercing by the Holy Spirit to to listen to what this lady was actually saying, and you know our listening, our acting with generosity with our time as well as our money and everything else, can facilitate healing in people's lives. It can facilitate a supernatural encounter, and understanding people helps us to build a bridge towards them. You know S in the word base. I, I see that in verse in verse nine, you know, that in our response, we speak with love. Words that empower the actions and the presence that people experience from us. Our support is key, you know? You know, it sounds familiar. People will look at you and see me, says Jesus. Where did we read that? We read that at the very beginning. That was the point of the 10 commandments. If you live this way, people will look at you and they'll see me. And there's that sense of being a priest who has um, that sense of welcome and listening and supporting at the heart really drives that forward. So, so being present, acting with generosity, speaking with love, and then finally evidencing the change. In verse nine, we see that um, that there is an explanation as to what they are experiencing. You know, when I, when I grew up, the important thing about mission was just preaching at people. I don't know how many times someone tried to convert me. And there was that, that deep sense here that you find throughout this is that being present, acting with generosity, and speaking with love is something that just outworks, potentially outworks an encounter that you then say, hey, what you're experiencing is the kingdom. You know, sometimes we proclaim at the very beginning uh, and it's just empty words. But when we name the words here that Jesus says, when this all happens, tell them this is the kingdom. We see Jesus showing a glimpse of reimagination that he only does what he sees the father doing. I believe that reimagination is the rediscovery of God's original intent. It's that thing of asking him what he's up to and partnering with him. You know, in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, another great commission, Jesus is actually saying, do you know, if you go, I will come. I will be waiting for you when you arrive, actually, because there is power in my name. There is power in your posture, in how you partner with me in the world. And so there's this incredible move of 12 to 72 disciples to this great commission 
to 120 in an upper room to 5,000 and away we go. And to my next slide, as I draw to an end of my biblical narrative, we see an acceleration of reimagination. Let's look at this closely. You know, in Exodus 19, God descended on the mountain in the form of fire as he speaks to Moses. The people looked, they feared, and they did. They stayed at a distance. Whereas in Acts 2, the fire shows up in the middle of the fear, in the middle of the uncertainty. And now, because Jesus has made a way, God comes in the Holy Spirit through tongues of fire and he rests upon them. And any good you know, Jew who would have known the history of what had taken place in years gone by would realize, oh my goodness, God is speaking through fire again. This is, this is a, a, a reimagination in some ways of, of Sinai. This is remarkable. And the ultimate purpose is revealed as they speak in the tongues of other nations while running into the streets filled with those people who would understand the dialect, those visiting for the Feast of Pentecost. You know, I love the symbol, the parallels and the intentionality in scripture. You know, suddenly a group of people isolated, lost, abandoned in the wilderness of an upper room and full of fear are suddenly stirred and a kingdom of priests is re-emerging again. But they still haven't made the jump to those outside their cultural circles. And here's where we'll wrap this up in Acts 10. This is beyond the imagination. I don't think we can describe how earth-shattering Acts chapter 10 is to a Jewish believer at that moment. Imagine being Peter on the end of that dream. You know, it takes the welcoming, the listening, and the supporting posture to another level, being called out for saying unclean to things that have been made clean, and, and a direct command to go to Cornelius's house, a Gentile. I mean, that could cause defilement. This is, this is really serious. And he goes, and, and, and even worse maybe in Peter's mind at the time, was the spirit falls in Cornelius's house. And now Peter cannot deny what is happening. It gets out of control. People are being included who shouldn't be. You know, this was God's heart in Exodus, right, to the nations. It's accelerating beyond measure. And, you know, sometimes, again, as I've said before, our reimagination is restoring, actually, God's original intent. And I like to frame uh, what is happening here around two questions that we used to see the acceleration of mission from Jerusalem to the rest of the world. And the two questions are this, and they're really deep, okay? They're really deep. What's for dinner, number one? And number two, who's invited? You know, there is no place in God's mission for segregation, for racism, misogyny, inequality, abuse, privilege for the few. And now the, the mission, the mission field becomes our dinner tables, our own dinner tables, our lounges, our gardens, our thoughts, our attitudes. Everyone is invited. We don't get to pick the invitation list. And what is so key is that the nations have come to us. I live in London. I live in a vibrant culture where the nations have come to help me personally 
in God's mission in the world. And I love that. And I celebrate it. But sometimes we don't recognize that there are tables that we've kept people away from. There's places and spaces that we've kept people away from. You know, Canon J. John says, there's only one place in the Bible where God ran, and that was toward a prodigal. You know, I've just uh, adopted a, a little boy, and it's totally changed the way that I see mission in my life and how the, how the Father sees me. Um, you know, we, we couldn't conceive for children for many years, and we did conceive, and we lost a child quite a way through our pregnancy. And it really broke us. I mean, we, we wrestled with our faith. We, we just couldn't believe what was happening. But in the middle of it all, that's a really long story. But to say this, that in the middle of it all, the Lord revealed to me and, and gave me a heart for adoption, for leaving the 99 in many ways and going to find the one. And in the last year, I can honestly say to you that something has accelerated in me for the one who's calling out. Imagine, instead of a high priest trying to gather thousands, if we were a kingdom of priests mobilized to the ones and to the twos and gathering them. What an incredible set of biblical narratives that we've just really belted through really, really quickly. And I feel it's really important for us to look back in the scriptures, for it to help us reimagine what a city could look like one birthed from a garden. And I can see godly rhythms and his heart stretching us out way beyond what we can see. And I think the scriptures are a powerful and transforming tool for encounter. You know, John Wimber said this, all spirit and you blow up, all word and you dry up, but word and spirit together means that you grow up. And I don't know about you, but I want to grow up into mission. I want to grow up into allowing the Holy Spirit to show me things I've never seen before. I want him to show me how I can welcome better, how I can listen to the people around me much better, and how I can support them in flourishing and seeing Christ for who he really is. So I'm aware that for the last half an hour, I've just really, really sort of got through a whole pile of stuff there. And I, I just want to thank you for, for listening to me. But um, for the next 15 minutes, what we'd really like to do is to have um, just some, some time in breakout rooms so that you guys can have a conversation with, with one another. Not, I'm, that it's not just me driving this, but um, that you can have a chat together. Uh, and the three questions that I'm, I'm, I'm sort of putting out there for you to talk about, if, if that's good with you, will be put in the chat in the minute by my colleague Gareth. And the three questions are, number one, what one hope and fear do you have as we emerge from lockdown? Number two, what are, what are the key missional opportunities that you see right now, right in front of you in your neighborhood? And number three, in what ways would you be best supported in these opportunities? And I, I want to say this, Bible Society is, is, is massively committed to helping the church missional agencies to build a biblical framework around mission. And on our hearts is welcome, it is listening, um, and it is supporting. 
And um, after the breakout room, um, we may have some time for a bit of feedback, but then I'm just going to give some very practical pointers to ways in which we can support you uh, as you're doing God's mission in the world. And hopefully it'll be exceptionally useful to you. So I'm just going to hand over now for uh, the breakout rooms. Right. We're all coming back now. I hope you had a good time having good conversations in your group. Mine was wonderful. It was, it was, uh, we were just starting to dig into different uh, ways you could be supported in these opportunities. So, so good. So Nigel, um, you've got, should we do some feedback coming out of the groups? Is that what we'd like to do next? I think we talked about that or do you want to talk about your next? Yeah. I mean, what, what, what would be really good? I'm just aware that we've got 10 minutes. Um, and what, what I'd really love is for people to maybe just put one line of from, from the conversations, even a standout thing that you heard or that you felt in the chat. Um, and also to say, we're aware on these forums that obviously, you know, we, we can't get around everybody, but we really want to engage with people. So um, an email address will be going on as well from Bible Society that, um, you know, if you want to do follow up, go deeper, um, we're really we're really up for that. So, I mean, I'm more than happy to um, just chat through maybe just some of the ways we can support everybody, because I think that um, if I don't, just express for the last 10 minutes some of the practical ways that Bible Society can support you in some of the things that we've talked about. Um, it, it, won't, it won't be a complete sort of um, conversation. If we have a few moments at the end, and I can wrap this up quickly, uh, I am really happy to, to have people um, to, to feedback. So I'll, I'll do what I can uh, to get through this reasonably quickly. But um, if we could just pull the slides back up, um, and um, go to slide number eight. Um, I just wanted to sort of talk about some practicalities uh, in the next few months. And you'll see Psalm 23 there on your screen. Um, and, and the power of welcoming in mission um, is, is something we're really taking seriously. We want to launch uh, something called the Psalm 23 Banquets. We're launching this on June the 25th. Because um, this has been a really tough year and, you know, COVID-19 has brought, you know, a host of enemies with it, hasn't it? Uh, illness, fear, loneliness, frustration, among many different things. But in Psalm uh, 23, I think it's verse 5, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, in the presence of those things. It's a feast. It's, um, you know, it's given by God to assure people who are threatened and scared that he, he cares for them. And so Bible Society are going to be um, partnering with CAP and Welcome Churches. So CAP obviously helping people in poverty, Welcome Churches uh, doing work with refugees. They're going to be partnering with us to inspire the church, to invite people to a banquet. Um, it's, going to be, it's going to be a great time for, for, to gather people who've, face lost and, and heartache and who've come to share stories of, of how that's been so difficult and yet, you know, where they've experienced joy or where they've experienced an encounter with someone that was, you know, not on the cards. 
So we really wanted to put it out there, the Psalm 23 banquets. I mean, we feel we want to send a message to people who've suffered, but also to the marginalised, um, to the poor in our communities. We want to gather people. The Bible tells us to gather people on the fringes to come together. We take this really seriously uh, at Bible Society. So if we can have a theology of the power of welcome, but no application to it, then it's it's just words, isn't it? It's just faith without works is, is just meaningless. So on June the 25th, we're hosting a webinar. We're going to put a link uh, in now where we're partnering with with numbers of different people, actually. It's about 10 to 12 partners on this. Uh, where we're going to be launching these banquets, but it's going to be about um, helping us all to understand um, how we can do that. And N.T. Wright is, good, is going to be joining us and um, other church leaders are going to be joining us. The CEO of CAP is going to be joining us, helping us to think about how we can launch this initiative, uh, be really practical as well as theological uh, in our communities. So that's sort of the power of welcome. Um, if we move to the next slide, I just want to talk really quickly about um, our digital platform called Lumino. And um, this is all about the power of listening. And uh, Lumino is it's a digital platform. Uh, and the idea is that it, it helps churches to listen to their communities and have resources that help them engage with those people. So um, we did a survey of 20,000 people on their attitudes to faith in the Bible. Now, if you think uh, an average uh, poll is about anywhere between 1,200 to 3,000 people, this is a phenomenal piece of work. Uh, and what we did was we, we got all these responses together and we realized that lots of different people think similar ways, have got similar understandings. And so we segmented them into personas without boxing them in. It just helped us to understand um, these different groups of people and, and where they lived. And do you know what? We've got a digital platform now where if you go on to lumino.bible, which will appear in your chat as well, um, you can click on it, type in your postcode, and because of the depth and the breadth of the data, um, you can get real integrity as to, the, to what's happening in your neighbourhood what people are feeling about the Bible, what attitudes are. And that should really help us um, identify and how we can be a bridge to them. Because if, if we don't listen to people, if we don't understand people, then how can we build bridges towards them? It doesn't mean we change the message. It doesn't mean that we change anything about our biblical narrative. What it does mean is, is that our posture changes and we are really interested in the people who live around us and what their attitudes are, and how we can help change the conversation with them in a really effective way. Um, and then finally, um, on the power of supporting our communities, um, I, I think many of us will have experienced trauma in our lives. I know I have. I mean, I, I told you um, a story today about um, losing a child that, that really that really, the way that happened, that really traumatized my wife and I and spent years trying to, to, to work out how, how we deal with that. And, and, in, and in the world of the pandemic, um, there's been a lot of trauma and um, somebody in my breakout group brightly put it that they feel like we we're in an autumn and there's still a bit of a winter to go. And I think there's a hangover from COVID that we've still yet to help people work through. Uh, and so... Um, 
we we believe well you, you you'd be grateful and thankful to know that the bible society believes that the bible can help you know whether it's through violence abuse a substance misuse loss the trauma of being on your own for a whole like you know goodness knows what people are feeling traumatized about during this period but it's part of our human experience in a broken world and it's something we're all vulnerable to regardless of gender of age of class or race but you know we believe that god is close to the brokenhearted that he is with everyone who suffers and and using the bible as a tool and unpacking the scriptures and the story of the bible uh, and how god connects with people in their suffering taking them to a a place of peace it doesn't seem to try and solve anything it's not trying to heal anybody it's not trying to do things that are completely inappropriate it's more about walking people towards a place of peace through the bible how can the bible help us in times of trauma and we are partnering with hundreds of churches across the country um, to help support them in supporting their communities through trauma so we're going to be putting a link again um, that you can click on get access to find out more about it but um, as, as an organization we, we want to be in partnership with all of you uh, we don't just want to theologize we don't just want to tell a good bible story and make it sound snazzy or breaking down different types of hebrew and greek we we want the bible to have an embodiment in the world of real change it makes a difference and so um that's that's what we wanted to bring to you today in our reimagination of how we welcome and how we listen and how we support and we'll be really up for a conversation with you if you want to have one post this webinar but i'll hand back to jill now because uh, i'm aware that it's nearly half past four Nigel, thank you so much. So helpful. I don't know about you all, but I found the, the data at the beginning really, really fascinating and really exciting and encouraging to see the opportunities that we have and the, the openness to spirituality that is now, you know, embedded in the culture. So thank you very much. Thank you for the practical tools at the end. It's just, I know some of us in our group were like, we, yeah, it'd be great to have some more tools and so those three tools and initiatives I think will be really helpful for us so good well thank you everybody I think that's our time together and so um, just um, I hope you have a great afternoon and um, actually Nigel could you pray for us just as we finish would that be all right yeah for sure Holy Spirit I thank you that your fire is burning today just like it did on Mount Sinai, just like it did when it came on the disciples. Your fire is burning within us and your fire is burning in our world, a passion to come and partner with you in the work that you're doing. I pray for uh, today a fresh revelation, a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit over each person. I pray, Lord, for an increase of passion for your word. Lord, I pray that as we open the scriptures, would would the grand story, the cosmic story of the ages just bring alive to us what's happening down our doorstep, on our doorstep, <laughs> down the street. Father, would you open our eyes to see what you're doing? Would you help us to get alongside one another, to build each other up in your work? In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Well, thank you so much, Nigel. Thank you, everybody, for coming. And uh, we'll see you all again at the Big Top, 8 o'clock tonight. And it's, um, yeah, if this morning was any indicator, tonight's going to be something. <laughs> so don't miss it. Take care, everybody. Have a good day.